Well, good morning, everyone. Is my microphone working? It is? Okay. All right, so this morning we have uh, several people who are joining our church, and many of them are doing so through baptism. And just as we take time to explain the significance of the Lord's table when we observe that ordinance, it seems appropriate now to take some time to explain the significance of baptism. Now, the specific baptism that I want to study today is the baptism of our Lord. And we should note that his baptism was unique. There are aspects of Jesus' baptism that do not apply to those who were baptized before him or after him. There are significant things that happened at this moment in salvation history that are not repeated in any other baptisms. Now, having made that important qualification, our Lord's baptism nevertheless highlights some important truths about baptism in general. So, while there are contrasts between his baptism and all others, there are also some comparisons to be made as well. We will see that there are truths found in Jesus' baptism which also apply to our baptism as well. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, on a day like this when people share their testimonies and receive baptism, we are reminded that you are a God who saves. Uh, You are a God who rescues sinners by your great power. You deliver us from the the penalty and from the power of sin. You, You deliver us from the fear of death, from Satan, and from the fires of hell. And so we want to uh, praise you for such a great salvation. And Father, as we, uh, as we consider the baptisms that are uh, about to take place this morning, we cannot help but recall that baptism signifies a death to our old way of life and a resurrection to new life with you. In baptism, we, we turned away from who we are in Adam. And so, Lord, we would humbly ask that you would forgive us for the times when we forget our baptism and for the times that we act like Adam and rebel against you. Lord, we know that we've been raised with Christ, and we, uh, Lord, we so strongly desire to be more like him. And so we would ask that you would give us grace to put to death the sin that still indwells within us. Lord, please give us grace that we would live holy lives before you. Uh, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for your faithfulness and for your forgiveness. And we are uh, comforted by the truth that you cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Lord, I also want to uh, pray for those who are joining us today. We pray that they would be bold in sharing their testimonies before us, that they would uh, honor you with their words We pray that they would be strengthened by this church and that they would strengthen this church as we all serve one another. And Lord, we also want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We would ask that you would protect them and give them grace to persevere in this very difficult uh, time and situation for them. Uh, Father, we ask that you would accomplish mighty things in and through us and that you would do so for your own glory. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
All right, for 400 years, there had been silence. Since the time of Malachi, there were no prophets. There was a famine of the word of God. Then John came on the scene. If you would, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses right now. And then in a few moments, we'll read through the rest of the chapter. Matthew 3, starting at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All right, so John prepared the way for the Messiah, and he did this in two ways. One, through his preaching, and two, through baptism. In his preaching, he proclaimed the impending kingdom of God, and he called people to repent. He also predicted the soon arrival of, of the Christ. John then baptized those who believed in his message and were desiring to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah by turning away from their sin. Notice that he did not baptize everyone that came to him. When the Pharisees and Sadducees came to John, he rejected them. And what he did is he exposed their false trust. He warned them that they could not rely upon their lineage. Abraham may have been their great, 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 great grandfather, but that fact could not save them. Your family tree cannot save you. They had to be willing to humble themselves and see themselves as sinners that were deserving of God's judgment. Since they thought that they were righteous in themselves, they were unwilling to repent. And since they were unwilling to repent, John was unwilling to baptize them. Now, as the people came into the water, they confessed their sins. They humbled themselves and they looked to God for salvation and for forgiveness. They were preparing for the coming of the Messiah by by preparing their own hearts. Only those who were willing to abandon their self-righteousness and believe in the coming Messiah qualified for this baptism. All others would be cut down and thrown into the fire. That is, they would be judged by God. Okay, now that we have some background by looking at John's baptism, let's get into the baptism of Jesus specifically. Look again at Matthew chapter 3 
And now I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. Matthew 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, let's consider John's reaction when Jesus came to him. John tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized by him. Listen to MacArthur on this detail. John resisted baptizing Jesus for exactly the opposite reason that he resisted baptizing the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were in great need of repentance, but gave no evidence of having it. John, therefore, refused to baptize them. Jesus, by contrast, came for baptism, though he alone, of all mankind, had no need of repentance. John refused to baptize the Pharisees and Sadducees because they were totally unworthy of it. Now he was almost equally reluctant to baptize Jesus because he was too worthy for it. All right, nevertheless, we know that John did baptize Jesus after he said these words. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness. You see, the Father had a plan for the Son, and this event was one important aspect of it. It was the will of God for Jesus to be baptized. And so by performing this baptism, John was, John was executing the will of God. For Jesus, on his part, being baptized was an act of obedience. It was one of the many ways that he complied with the Father's plan for his life. Baptism was one aspect of his submission to the Father. But this raises an important question, an important theological question. Why would God have Jesus be baptized? This was a baptism of repentance. But Jesus was perfectly sinless. He had nothing to repent of. When others went into the water, they would confess their sins. What would Jesus have to say when he went into the water? He always obeyed. So again, why would God have him be baptized? Consider this. Through this ritual, Jesus, the sinless one, intentionally joined himself with confessed sinners. At the very beginning of his public ministry, he identifies himself not with the righteous, but with the sinners that he came to save. Here's how Riken put it. He said, but why did Jesus even need to be baptized? This is a real puzzle. It hardly seems appropriate. John was baptizing people into repentance for the forgiveness of sins. However, Jesus was no sinner, and therefore he needed neither to repent nor to be forgiven. So why was he baptized? The baptism of Jesus was different from all others. Somehow his baptism fell into a different category. The difference was that Jesus did not have to be baptized for his own sins. Rather, he was identifying with sinners in their need of forgiveness. This was an act of solidarity. Jesus was taking the place of sinners. 
So already, at the beginning of his public ministry, we are reminded of the ancient prophecy that he would be numbered among the transgressors, Isaiah 53, 12. If we are amazed to see him baptized, we are all the more amazed to see him crucified. The choice that Jesus made at his baptism was the choice that ultimately led him to the cross. He was willing to be reckoned a sinner so that sinners could be saved, and so he was baptized. Matthew then goes on to describe a few details. The heavens are torn open, and so what we have here is an apocalyptic event. One dimension is ripping into the fabric of another. Heaven is breaking into time and space, and then two things happen. The Spirit descends upon Jesus, and a voice from heaven speaks. This event in the life of Jesus identifies him clearly as the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. From this event, we are supposed to learn that Jesus is the long-awaited Christ that was predicted all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. He will bring in the kingdom of God. He is empowered by the Spirit to accomplish the work of redemption. And so he is our prophet. He he is our, our priest who is also our sacrifice. And he is our king. And we must confess that Jesus is Lord. And so you can see that Christology is not some some dry theoretical doctrine. Christology is our life. Get Jesus' identity right and put your faith in him and you have eternal life. Get Jesus' identity wrong and you have no life in you. Matthew chapter 3 teaches us who Jesus is and it calls us to agree with the voice from heaven. Jesus is the Son of God, the one approved by the Father to rule and reign over his eternal kingdom. Application. Okay, now that, we've, now that we've considered the baptism of Jesus, let's consider Christian baptism. What can we learn from his baptism about ours? The differences, uh, the differences seem actually pretty obvious, right? You've got the sky being ripped open. You've got the heavenly dove. You've got the voice, the voice from heaven. So what are, what are some of the similarities? Let me, let me suggest two comparisons, just two. Uh, many more can be made. I just want to concentrate on these. Number one, baptism is an act of obedience. Number one, baptism is an act of obedience. When Jesus was baptized, he did it to fulfill all righteousness. He did it because he knew it was the will of God. The same principle holds true today. When a person submits themselves to baptism, they are obeying the command of Scripture. Jesus left his words with these, uh, Jesus left his disciples with these words. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age of precious promise. Uh, Jesus obeyed the Father when he was baptized. We obey Jesus when we believe and are baptized. Baptism was an act of obedience for Jesus, and it is an act of obedience for all of his followers. Jesus is our example in this way. Number two, baptism means identification. Number two, baptism means 
identification. When Jesus was baptized, he identified himself with the sinners that he came to save. He didn't need to repent, but he joined himself with those who did. Now, when we are baptized, we join ourselves to Jesus. And to be more specific, we identify ourselves with him in his death and his resurrection as we go under and then are raised again up out of the waters. Through baptism, we proclaim that Jesus' work saves us. Through baptism, we proclaim that Jesus can cleanse us from all of our sins. Christian baptism identifies us with Jesus and also with his people. Through baptism, we join the church. Through baptism, we we identify ourselves as one of God's people. Baptism is an act of solidarity. Acts 2, 40 and 41 say this, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Baptism is, in the Bible at least, in the Bible, a unifying ritual that binds believer to believer in a formal way. Baptism means identification. And we rejoice that so many are willing to identify themselves with Christ and with us this morning. Amen.